Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, David Aronovich here. Today's episode of Stories of Our Times is about life after a terror attack and how one survivor found a renewed meaning and purpose through sport. I'm going to hand over now to my colleague, the chief sports writer at the Sunday Times, David Walsh. Here we go. Oh, hello. Whoa. Here we go. I'm on a golf course in North London. It's a warm summer's day. Lovely. It feels good. Golf is a sport I love, and during the pandemic, there were periods when we couldn't play. As a sports journalist, I've been lucky enough to play at some of the very best golf courses around the world. Uh, Pull that one. Oh, that would have been right. Right, But today, I'm playing with someone no golf fan will have ever heard of. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Walsh. Today, life after a terror attack, how sport can help. I've been working as a sports journalist at the Sunday Times since 1996. I've travelled the world watching the very best of the best, from football World Cups to Rugby World Cups, from the Tour de France to the Olympic Games, pretty much every sport you can imagine. It's a job many envy. But throughout my career, one of the things people who aren't sports fans often ask me, why does sport matter? Why do grown men and women get so emotional over what is, after all, just a game? Sometimes I found it hard to answer that question, to justify the huge sums of money certain sports stars earn, to try to explain how some have only gained glory through cheating, and off to pitch to try and rationalise the terrible behaviour of some sports fans. For me, there is a reason why sport matters. And today's podcast, I hope, can give you a sense of why that is. Chris, to meet you. Pleased to meet David. I'm at the Shar Golf Course in Barnet, North London. I've come to meet Chris Aves for a round of golf. As you come out the club and turn right, you right. Need a, at the next traffic light, you need to turn right into Barnet High Street. But before we go on the course, I'm sitting in the clubhouse overlooking the beautiful manicured fairways with Chris. But we're not chatting about golf. We're going over a day that altered the course of his life. So my name's Chris Aves. I'm 40 years old, a current Metropolitan Police 
officer, but I am now going through medical retirement. Chris, could we go back to March 22nd, 2017, where you were that day? I was in New Scotland Yard receiving an award for some work that I had done for the year before. I was up there with a few of the commanders of the Metropolitan Police, having my photos taken. It's a proud day. And where are you going when the award ceremony is over? Instead of hanging around and get changed into our normal clothes, we'd cut across Westminster Bridge, go down towards Lambeth Police Station, get changed there, and maybe go out for a bit of a celebration drink and a, and a bite to eat. And what are your memories? We said goodbye to a few people. We got in the lift and went down to the ground floor. And I remember I had left my umbrella upstairs. I could have just turned around and gone and got my brolly. But I decided to ring someone and ask them to pick it up for me and bring it to Lambeth. And that is my last memory for about eight days. Gunshots have been heard in what appears to have been some sort of shooting close to the Palace of Pictures Westminster. are coming in from central London. They show a number of people being treated outside the Parliament and just along Westminster Bridge. The car has mounted the pavement, deliberately mowing down pedestrians as it headed... On Wednesday, the 22nd of March, 2017, just before a quarter to three in the afternoon, British-born terrorist Khaled Massoud killed five people including one of Chris's colleagues, in an attack on Westminster Bridge in central London. Masood was shot dead by armed officers. Eight days later, Chris woke up. I now know from being told by family in hospital that there was a terrorist that decided to destroy people's lives by driving in and out of traffic, hitting as many people as he can. He then decided to crash into Parliament, get out and sadly kill one of my Metropolitan Police colleagues. He stabbed him. He stabbed him in the neck. And your own injuries, you were hit by his car? I was hit by the car that he was driving and suffered severe injuries. I was put into an induced coma, and then eight days later, they decided that they would wake me from the coma. And there was my partner, Marissa, and my parents. But the shock of finding out he'd been involved in a terror attack, which could have ended his life, was just the beginning. Doctors were gradually letting Chris know his life would not go back to how it had been. They were just saying that I had a spinal cord injury and that everything underneath at the moment is not working and you'll have lots of numb spots and places that you can't feel. If we'd been having a coffee that morning after you'd got your reward and we were to meet as strangers and I'd said to you, what do you do and kind of who are you? What would your response have been? A proud police officer, that day especially, a very outgoing guy that likes to socialise with friends, enjoy sport, but also a loving family man. My partner, Marissa, my young son, Tom, and daughter, Aoife. Did you play sport? Were you a football fan? Did you have a team? A huge fan of Tottenham Hotspur. They were my team from growing up as a young boy. I used to play social golf as well with 
the Metropolitan Police, the London borough that I was a part of to start was Camden. We created a golf society there for current Camden officers and ex-retired police officers as well. And when you started to realise that you had a major issue with your injuries, how did you respond in relation to thinking about the things you might not be able to do? How hard was that? I remember in hospital there were going to be three things. I didn't think I'd ever go to a football match again to ever play golf. But the third and final thing, and this one is the number one, I didn't think I could be a good dad anymore. Children need a lot of attention. They want to go out and kick a ball in the park, throw a frisbee in a park. They'll have hobbies growing up. And I just thought, can't do any of that anymore. And also, how are the kids going to see me? My consultant at the time was quite honest and said that I'd never walk again. That was quite hard to take. And that was probably the first time I'd heard that because that's come from a specialist spinal consultant that's dealt with hundreds of patients like me before. How would you describe your mindset through this? I say I've been okay. There have been moments where I haven't been wanting to do anything, didn't want to get out of bed some days, but I've never had any hate in my life. I've got a fantastic pool of friends, family, work colleagues. I have my partner, Marissa. I've got my kids to look after as well. If anyone was going to take the brunt of it, it would have been them. You say that you don't have any capacity for hate. How do you avoid hating Khalid Masood, who committed those crimes? I had a lot of counselling. They used to ask me that question quite a lot. I don't think it's more of a case of how do I not hate him. It's more of a case of I choose not to think about him. I choose not to think about that day. I get angry about how it's left me. Of course I do. But 99 times out of 100, it's got nothing to do with me anymore that day. So I just choose not to think about it. That's plenty of club. Just got to believe in it, mate. There we go. Uh, pulled that one. Oh, that would have been right. Right club, right. wrong line. Okay, go on then. Go on, mate. Right we'll club, wrong line. But that's, yep. that's the right club. Today, Chris and I are playing golf together. We're on the same team as we take on Chris's coach, Kai, and my producer, Ollie, in what's called a four ball. Much better, mate. Lovely. Yeah, nice yeah. swing. That's the ribbon, bud. Great shot. We're in the game now, We're Chris. in the game, pal. We're in the game. <laughs> we have a ticket in this, in this lottery. <laughs> to keep it simple, it's our best score against their best score on each hole over nine holes. Without the use of his legs, Chris is using what is called a paragolfer. It's a very, very mini golf buggy. So it carries my clubs on the right-hand side, lets me seat and get around the, uh, around the course. It's in between kind of a, a motorized wheelchair and a golf buggy, really. What it enables me to do is when I address the ball, at the press of a button, the electronics at the back brings me up into a standing position and it allows me to swing the golf club, uh, obviously hit the ball and, and, and play golf. Halfway here, I'd stop. Yeah. Obviously with a spinal cord injury, I don't have a lot of balance, so I have to wear a brace around my waist. And with the paragolfer, 
It's got the uh, the plate that your, your feet go on. Majority of, of my swings and the majority of people with spinal cord injury swings just come from the arms. Half swings, so the ball unfortunately doesn't go as far as it used to. But as I said, it allows me to play golf. It is certainly an impressive piece of kit. But unfortunately, as you'd imagine, it doesn't come cheaply. They cost around £17,000 and there are only two available for general use in the UK. And they're both here at the Shire Golf Club in North London. Very good. Middle of the green. Yeah, well done. On the dance floor, as they say. On the dance floor, David. On the dance floor. And we're all square. They hold a lucky pot on the dance floor. How has the accident changed you? Do you feel you're the same person that you were before the accident? I would like to think so. Mentally, it's changed me in two ways. One way, I'm more positive in front of people that I don't know. I'm sometimes less positive and a little bit depressed, maybe, that I would admit to people I do know. So the people closest to you sometimes are the people who see your less positive side. And has that had impact? It's had an impact on my relationship with my partner, Marissa. We split. She now lives in one home and I live in another. So that's the biggest impact it's definitely had on us. How difficult has that been? I get lonely. Um, Maybe something I haven't admitted to her. But I think the way the relationship was going and we were arguing quite a lot and it probably wasn't fair to put the children through that. Now I've been living on my own for seven or eight months. Yeah, it gets lonely, but fantastically agreed to be very amicable about it. We'll split things all down the middle with the, the childcare, bring up the children together still. And when you have an internal conversation, do you conclude that if March 22nd has never happened, do you think Marissa and you are still together? I'd say that my mental health that was caused after March 22nd had the biggest impact on our, on our split. So the answer to your question, I think, is yes. Chris has been on his own now since early this year. He sees his two children regularly. He now has full-time live-in support and his home has been adapted to help with his disability. On the course, he's competitive. It's just part of his nature. When it comes to anything like going to local pub on a quiz night, you know, <laughs> it's kind of, that's that's kind of the person I am. I've always been, been that person. Oh, um, that's a great golf shot. Let's let's see where we are at the end of this one. Let's see where we are. In a moment, we'll meet Chris's golf coach, Kai. But first, a message from my colleague. Hi, I'm George Abuffnot, the Deputy Editor of the Sunday Times Insights Investigations team. It's you, the listeners and subscribers who enable the Insight team to investigate the government's response to the pandemic. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with the Times and the Sunday Times. If you subscribe today, you can enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk 
forward slash stories of our times. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you were told about how severe, you know, your injuries were, one of your thoughts was I'm never going to be able to play golf again. And uh, people who have never played golf might consider that an unusual observation. But uh, I can totally understand it because I do play golf and uh, I would hate not to be able to play. When did you suddenly realise that actually I may be able to play golf again? While I was in hospital, one of the uh, DDOs from Camden Police Station, designated detention officer, he came and we were chatting and he was dropping some messages to me and he said, have you thought about golf again? I was like, well, I haven't, no. And he said, oh, it's this fantastic piece of kit that I've been told about. I was like, okay. I said, well, how do you know about that? And a friend of his sister's knew a guy who owned with his family a golf course and he had a charity called the Golf Trust. His name's Kai Minai Davis. And I was put in touch with him when I came home out of, out of hospital. And Kai arranged for me to have a try of a paragolfer. I met Kai for the first time. It was probably about four or five months maybe after coming out of hospital. So I remember it was quite a nice sunny day. And I gave it a try. I, I, I swung a golf club, hit a ball, and I think I cried. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, just... Joyful crying. When he hit that ball for the first time, he was very emotional. That's Kai Manai Davis, director and co-founder of the Golf Trust and Chris's coach. And it's just trying to contain and control his belief in what he can do. As a coach, I need to make sure he can repeat what he does and make sure he doesn't hurt himself. He's also joined me in the clubhouse and is remembering the first time Chris hit a golf ball after his injury. At the same time he's learning how to use the paragolf, I'm learning myself. It was quite fun to do it together. During our round of golf, I was struck by the relationship between the two of them. Oh, you got something, have you? I'm yourself a little left, that's good. It was clear to me, as we spent the morning together on the course, what motivates Chris but I also wanted to get a better understanding of what is driving Kai. It all began with a rejection. My dad went to join a golf course close to 25, 30 years ago now and was refused to join. And he decided to go away and build his own golf course. As a family, we've got another one open and two more we're building. Why was your dad refused entry to a golf club? His face didn't fit. It's as simple as that, his, his face didn't fit. Golf is always battling that view of elitism and he was in the rag trade and yeah, wasn't the sort of person that the, the golf course in question wanted to have as a member. Do you regard yourself as working in the family business now because you work in golf or is your work with the Golf Trust very 
separate and independent from the family golf business. Without the family business, there'd be no golf trust. My time is divided between, between the two. What having these facilities with the family does, it allows us to showcase and almost perfect the work we do at the Golf Trust to then roll it out across the country. Having no barriers to what you're allowed to do here does help because you can push the barriers of what's possible. We're now on the sixth hole at the Shire, which is um, a golf course designed by Seve Ballesteros. Now, Seve Ballesteros was probably Europe's most charismatic golfer. And this is the only course in the UK that he designed. This is a, a remarkable place because you are looking around and all you can see are trees. And you can, I don't think I've seen one house since I've come on this golf course. And yet it's actually quite close to London, relatively speaking. So it's amazing to be here because it feels like you're, you're right in the middle of rural England. It just looks beautiful because so many trees, um, so many kind of different shapes, different shades of green. And of course, golf courses always look spectacular because they're so well manicured. And this one especially is a beautiful golf course. You have chosen to do this, you know, director, co-founder of the Golf Trust, when your family are very big players in the golf industry, they own prestigious golf courses, yet you've taken yourself out of that, which would be quite a corporate world, and you've gone for a very different kind of life. Why? I don't know, people say it's a calling. No one knows what it is until it happens. In a way, you've always got the family business, you're always working the family business, but you never know what can happen until you chuck yourself in the deep end. For Kai, the deep end he decided to chuck himself in was a response to his father becoming ill. He had double pneumonia, tropical blood disease. One day, Kai was driving to see his dad in hospital when he noticed something. There was a kid with Down syndrome filling up a petrol tank with his dad. And um, you're just seeing the interaction between a parent and a child. And all that drive up, just thinking, well, what can I do with my old man? If he is as bad as he is, or if he doesn't make a full recovery, what can I do? Golf had given us everything. and. To be able to make sure he still had the opportunity is what kick-started it. Thankfully, Kai's father made a full recovery. But for Kai, seeing a family member in need and concerned that his dad might never swing a golf club again set him on a journey to helping others less fortunate than himself. It's creating the opportunity for people to have healthier lifestyles and trying to give people the belief that they can achieve something that they're told they couldn't not only for the person with a disability, but the friends and family around. Kai's charity, the Golf Trust, was set up in 2012. Its ethos is to use golf, a sport traditionally seen as elitist, to bring people from all walks of life together. One of the many who have benefited over the years is, of course, Chris. Perfect. Oh, not yeah. so far. Yeah, that's that's perfect. That'll kick, that'll kick. Right. Go on, get a kick. For the left hand up. There, there you go. go, see? There you go, you're all right. Better ground draw as well. Lovely. Hold on. How remarkable is it that we have Chris Aves, who is wheelchair bound and can play 18 holes of golf? 10 years ago or 15 years ago, that's not going to happen. It's incredible. Technology's come a long way. So for every Chris Aves, as he'll tell you, there's a lot of people who need to be the next Chris Aves. Chris can go and play 18 holes, laugh, smile. You don't even need a scorecard. It's about the interaction and the social element as well.
I mean, I'm sure you play lots of golf with lots of able-bodied golfers. Do you have the impression that that Chris is able to enjoy his round as much as any of your able-bodied friends? They all get angry and they all smile. Uh, they hit a good shot, they smile. They hit a bad shot, they get angry. <laughs> it's just, every golfer's the same. And when they come off, they reflect on the good, they reflect on the bad. And in terms of enjoyment, are you able to enjoy playing golf as much as you previously did? Yeah, I think so. Because I'm proving a spinal cord injury wrong by actually, look at me. I'm getting out and I'm doing something. I'm actually playing golf. I'm actually hitting a ball and I managed to win a few holes here, there and everywhere. So yeah, I can hit the ball and enjoy it. I also hit the ball not very far and get frustrated. As a lifelong golf enthusiast, I know that the words golf and frustration go hand in hand. Similarly, Chris and Kai's enduring friendship has gone beyond getting Chris back on the golf course. Chris is now part of Team Europe in the Cairns Cup, their disability equivalent of the Ryder Cup, which sees the best US golfers take on the best Europeans every two years. Using the bounce is hard, so unless the lie dictates it, always, take, always try and take the loft off it. Just makes life a hell of a lot easier. Very generous. I think I got given it for an eight, didn't I? Tell me about your relationship with Kai. Kai has been my coach, a coach that has now become a friend. He knows that I like to overdo things. He's very strict on me. So if we're down the driving range and I come up and I maybe take three or four shots, I like to really go for it. And I'm like, oh, I've got another one in me. I've got another one in me. You know, Chris, listen to me. You know, it's the one time that, you know, you've got you to listen to your coach. I'm fully invested not only in his game, but making sure his welfare is well as a friend. As a friend to him now, I want to play golf with him. It's nothing to do with, you're coming for a lesson, I want to play golf with him as a friend. And it's as simple as that. He's been brilliant mentally for me, getting me back into golf and as a friend as well. Everything that you tell Kai about what you do now seems related to the fact that your dad once tried to get into a golf course and was excluded in that you want to include everybody now. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, golf's a sport. Sport is universal. Sport holds no limits. In terms of golf, I mean, it's the only sport I know that's made exclusive by the powers that be. It's the most inclusive sport in the world. Name me another sport where three generations of your family can play at the same time on a golf course, regardless of age, ability, gender, faith. It just doesn't happen. Our whole ethos is everyone's equal. Everyone walks through the door. In golf clubs, there's always a stigma of committees and captains. We don't have any. The nearest person parked to the front door should be the disabled bay, not a captain of a golf club. Chris, I, I don't want to make oh, this don't do, don't do it, more important than it is, but this is maybe the most important golf shot you've ever hit in your life. <laughs> I say that, but I remember once on a par three, it was eight quid on it, it was. Important than eight quid, man. Pride, honour. Today, Chris, you and I were a team against uh, our producer Ollie and Kai in a four ball. And we get to the final green and you've got a 12-foot putt to halve the match. And I say to you, Chris, we need you here. 
is it nice to kind of be involved in that kind of competition and to feel like people are looking upon you not as somebody in a wheelchair, but somebody who should have held that bloody putt? Yeah, definitely. To have that pressure at the end just felt the same amount of pressure I would do as an able-bodied person. Chris missed the final putt to effectively draw the match by no more than an inch. He's going to make me buy lunch for everyone now, isn't he? Well done, Well done. Sorry that five holes, I uh, wasn't there for you. If there was one piece of advice arising out of your experience of life that you would give to somebody, what would that be? Don't give up. That could be in their rehabilitation. But also, don't give up on yourself. If you've got a problem, ask questions. Don't be afraid to speak out. There's numerous forums out there. Have a positive mind. I know it's hard. Just stick to your guns and uh, positive attitude. Chris Aves survived the Westminster Bridge terror attack. His life changed beyond recognition. But there were five innocent victims who didn't survive on that day back in March 2017. They were Aisha Frade, Kurt Cochran, Leslie Rhodes, Andrea Christea and PC Keith Palmer. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, David Walsh, and my guests, Chris Aves and Kaiman I. Davis. The producers today were Oliver Adamson and Willa Rowe. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you have a story you think we should be covering, the idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes@thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon.